Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Van vancast.robinhood.com. That's vancast.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co backslash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield APY on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Refreshed and recharged after an all-star break. The Canucks back at it, picked up where they left off. Jake for Tannen making plays. The lockdown line with an empty netter. Another home ice victory over the St. Louis Blues. And hopefully, Drancer, you are rested and refreshed as well. Uh, we haven't done this for a little while. Yeah, you know, and usually we'd save the personal anecdotes from the bye week and the NHL all-star break for the end of the podcast. But don't we, by rights, have to close with Louis Erickson? Uh, it seems that way. We should, uh, <laughs> like it, it, it is remarkable now, and, and I know you wrote about it in the armies. Like there is an air of anticipation in the building now when the Canucks take a, a one goal lead into the final couple of minutes. I thought JT Miller might get a chance to you know complete the natural hat trick, and that would have been a remarkable storyline for the first game out of the break against the defending Stanley Cup champs. But no, Travis Green sticking to form, and uh, those guys have one job and one job only, it seems, and that is uh, to make sure that they hit the empty net. They did just that. Well, look, we'll talk a whole bunch about uh, the game and where this team is headed and this home ice play and all this kind of stuff, but uh, I have to give props to you because you applied a little bit of pressure on our last podcast as I had my bags packed, the family was heading to Cabo for the week, and you had one request, <laughs> one very simple request. Absolutely. I wanted you to get on a horse. <laughs> well, I am a man of my word. If nothing else, I sent you photographic evidence. Oh, it's so good. I got on Black Beauty. I mean, what a cliched name for a horse, but that's what they told me the horse's name was. Uh, first time in a bunch of years I was in the saddle, and actually it was an incredible experience. If anybody's going to Cabo, I would highly recommend. Uh, you won't find the... ATV slash horseback riding combo in a lot of places, but this was uh, amazing that uh, from the highway, we ATV'd uh, the whole family, got on quads, and like 20 minutes down to this crazy private beach, and from there, we were able to turn the ATVs loose on the beach, and then when we were done with those, we rode horses for a while, um, and then got back on the ATVs and took us back to uh, the the office or the, the, the shop. So uh, it was a ton of fun. Kids had fun. Uh, I enjoyed it, and I survived. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, there were no guarantees. <laughs> when I was at, at this stage of my life, when I got on a horse, there was no guarantee. But, uh, no, we had a good trip, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And there's something to be said about, uh, you know, seven straight days of sunshine in the middle of January. So uh, I feel like I had a break, and I feel like I'm ready for the stretch run, which started last night with that Canuck victory over the St. Louis Blues. How about your break? 
Uh, it was great. I went up to Whistler, enjoyed myself, built some spreadsheets, did some nerdy stuff. It was great. <laughs> but the man, the the I got an you know I love that you spend all season hoofing it around North America, but to really hoof it, you need the bye week and to go to Mexico. I I just I'm so I'm so proud and pleased of your equestrian exploits. And uh, and and it's just so weird that I randomly brought that up at the end of our last pod for no reason, just like out of the blue, and that you guys actually went horse riding and, and sounds like you had a delightful time. I mean, what good fun. Uh, I'm glad you got up there and, and I'm glad you guys had a memorable family vacation uh, on horseback. Right. And look, I... I sent you a DM with a picture of uh, my perspective <laughs> of my horse and his head and the shadow and everything else. And, and I just said, look, it wasn't a bet. Like you didn't bet me to get on a horse. No. So you can't claim that you won anything, but I was definitely <laughs> giving you the W in that moment because yes, in fact, we got on a horse and I thought maybe the best line of all was when I saw you, I walked into the rink yesterday, the media room and you turned to me and you said, good holiday. Yay or nay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, not bad, just, not bad. I, I was willing to play with that one. I, I'm just glad you took your horse to the Old Town Road, Jeff. That's fantastic. Yeah, I wasn't quite decked out in the whole uh, Little Nas X outfit. Uh, there was no cowboy hat that went along uh, with the ride. It was just a simple uh, guy from Vancouver in Mexico going for an hour-long horse ride. And uh, You did not have the boots that's black to match. Exactly. No. <laughs> no, very much a city slicker in that regard. Hey, let's get to uh, this hockey team that uh, just yeah. refuses to lose on home ice. Like It really has become one of the big stories, and in a division where somebody's going to win the Pacific, uh, there is this feeling now to me in that locker room of, you know, why not us from the, you know, the Canuck perspective, and look... You know, I kind of had this epiphany mid-podcast a couple of shows back where, like, it just dawned on me, you know, somebody's going to win the division. If it's the Canucks, the way they play at home now, Drancer, and just this ability to grind out victories in a, let's be honest, pretty mediocre division, like, home ice really could be an advantage for the Vancouver Canucks down the stretch and beyond that. And with every win, I'm starting to make plans for hockey beyond uh, game 82. 100%. And, you know, not only... Uh, I check every morning Dom decision at the Athletics, you right. know, playoff odds sort of post that updates every day with his model. And, you know, I find it interesting. And, and so I check it every day. And I noticed today the Canucks aren't just 80-plus percent to make the playoffs. According to his model, they're at 22% to win a round! To win a round, right? Like that's and, and that's, where we that's higher now. than their preseason playoff odds. Like, it blew my mind. But when you look at this Pacific, you know, when you look at the potential opponents that they'd have, I mean, I I, I think Vegas is a sleeping giant. I, I have a lot of regard for Arizona's defensive play. I mean, I think that this is going to be a very tough division to win from a Vancouver perspective over the balance. But boy, you can see it. You know, like you can begin to see, I I actually think, forget making the playoffs as a snow day from this vantage point, from the position that the Canucks have put themselves in, you know, through 50 games. I mean, this is a team that should make the playoffs at this point. And that's just mind boggling to me that that's where we're at, especially where this market was at just a week out from Christmas. Right. Like you go back to that lost weekend in San Jose and Vegas, they come home, they lose to Montreal and I will admit, like having been 
you know, on this job day in, day out for the last bunch of seasons, in that moment, mid-December, it really did have the feel of, here they go again, have been down this road too many times. I think Bruff said on the radio, like, I just, I can't take another death march. And, you know, that kind of, that thought crossed my mind as well. I didn't see this run of, like, 12 wins in their last 15 is an outrageous stretch of success by any measure for any team at any point of the season, you win 12 of 15. Like, you're playing 800 hockey. Like, that's just crazy. And I looked at it after last night's win against St. Louis. Pittsburgh is the only team in the NHL with more home ice victories than the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> and, you know, for the last bunch of years, Rogers Arena has just been easy street for visitors. It's been Death Valley in terms of excitement and entertainment and jump and everything else. And, like, all of that is back. And I feel good for the fans. Like, they've been through a tough stretch here. You know, good for the players as well. They're the ones that ultimately get it done. But, you know, it's kind of cool now to think, hey, it's a home game night. Like, it's going to be an event. And to the credit of the hockey club, you know, they're putting on a show. It wasn't perfect against the St. Louis Blues. Like, that is a damn good hockey club. They're where they are for a reason. They got the Stanley Cup to show for it from last year. You know, they gave the Canucks everything they could handle. But... Canucks keep finding ways. I think that, to me, is probably the most impressive thing. It's all about, you know, how many wins do you have at the end of the season, how many points, and right now the Canucks are just in this mode of, you know, shoving as many points as they can in their back pocket. Uh, the more you get now, the easier it'll be on you down the stretch. And, you know, the, the Blues came out swinging, got the early lead, and the Canucks punched right back. Like I, I thought that was a pretty impressive you know, just the effort level, the buy-in, all those kind of buzzwordy things that you want. Again, it wasn't a perfect game, but they beat the Stanley Cup champs two out of three times this season. Yeah, and I think the, you know, what I wrote last night was I don't think it was their cleanest game or their most complete, but it might have been one of their most complete efforts. And when I consider how St. Louis played, like this was not like the victory over San Jose in the last game before the All-Star break where it felt like the other team wasn't playing well. Like, I think the Blues played really well last night. And I think Demko was up to the task. And I think the Canucks' defensive game was up to the task, especially in the third period. And with where this team's been this season in terms of their permissive play, uh, and, you know, I I don't think they've been a top-end defensive... I don't even think they've been a middle-of-the-road defensive club. Like, I think they've had defensive flaws that have been masked to some extent by stellar goaltending and a, and a super potent offense. You know, when you consider, though, especially how they've played since that tough stretch of two games in Florida, the, the loss in Tampa and the loss in Sunrise, when you think about how they shut down... Things in Buffalo, in Minnesota, how they controlled the game against Winnipeg, even if they couldn't beat Connor Hellebuck's force field. Um, and then how they have looked almost like a throwback Central Division systems team in the three games that they played at home, you know, against Arizona, who played well that game, against San Jose, who I don't think did, and against the St. Louis Blues last night. You know, that's sort of a stretch that, to me anyway, if that form is signal rather than noise, then this is a team that could be genuinely formidable um, as as this sort of stretch run rolls along. And, and boy, I mean, what an exciting prospect for a city that hasn't seen playoff hockey in five years and hasn't even seen a meaningful sort of game this late in the season, uh, you know, since then too. Yeah, you know, for me, I think really the most impressive thing is that there does seem to be a comfort level 
in all these tight games, and they're in a ton of them. Like, you know, they don't blow out opponents. Say even a 4-1 win against San Jose, remember, was scoreless until late stages of the second period before Louie got in on the act. It was 1-0 going to the third. It was 2-0, and then the Sharks scored, so it's a 2-1 hockey game. You know, like the Canucks don't give themselves a ton of breathing room within the games themselves. And so, like, a 4-1 win over, a, you know, a disinterested, disinterested San Jose team wasn't like the Canucks were in full control. They were on the shot clock, but the Sharks were just a shot away. But the Canucks seemed totally content. And last night was another example. Like, at 2-1 in the third period, I agree with you. Like, the Blues, you know, they had zone time. But they didn't generate a ton of, like, really, really good looks. I mean, obviously, Jaden Schwartz had the off-the-rush where Demko made the, the game-saving stop. And Thatcher yeah. Demko was terrific. But, you know, overall, in that third period, like, I didn't feel like the Canucks were under complete siege. We've seen third periods where they have been. Uh, I didn't get that sense last night. And they just, you know, I think as this team grows, there's a comfort level that's emerging in all these tight games with this sort of belief that, you know, no matter how tight it is, they're going to find a way to get that next goal or they're going to find a way to grind out a victory. And they did it again here. And, you know, you're right, to bounce back from Florida, like things could have gone absolutely sideways. They had three games left on that road trip. They stabilized in Buffalo and Minnesota. And, you know, they've won five of six games since that two-night stand in Florida that went completely sideways on them. Yeah, and, you know, when I think about last night, or the game against St. Louis on Monday, if you're listening to this <laughs> on Wednesday. But if when I think about that Monday game, and I think about Bo Horvat especially, and how good he's been over the past 14 games. And I know that because Louis got put on that line when he got put on that line, right? There's a lot of attention being yep. paid to Louis, especially because it's a fun redemption story and on and on. But the way that Bo Horvat has played over the past 15 games, I mean, he has been genuinely Vancouver's best player, perhaps for a longer stretch than that, maybe for 20, 25 games. And considering how well Elias Patterson's played during that stretch as well, uh, considering how well Jacob Markstrom's played during that stretch as well, I mean, that's a really high compliment. And I thought he was Vancouver's best player by a fair bit on Monday night against St. Louis. I think the way that he was able to individually attack against the grain, the way that he played through the neutral zone, uh, the sort of assertiveness that he had five on five against really tough competition, like the best <laughs> two-way players in the NHL in Ryan O'Reilly, uh, a surefire Selkie nominee uh, this year. And on and on, uh, you know, I, I was just wildly impressed. And that's sort of been a trend that I think has really powered Vancouver in this middle stretch of the season where they've built a little bit of a cushion atop a division that looks feeble, takeable. Um, certainly, uh, it's an opportunity for the Canucks, and it's been led by their first-year captain, in my view. Yeah, you know, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, yeah, he scores the empty netter with a couple of tenths of a second left. But, you know, it looked like the kind of night where he wasn't going to find the score sheet, but I thought his fingerprints were all over that game and he was all around the puck. Like, uh, you know, he had the steal in the first period that allowed him, you know, a really good scoring chance when the Canucks were down one nothing. Didn't score there, but, you know, that seemed to energize the building. It got him into the game. He had another chance early in the second period at the side of the net. He was denied. And then, uh, you know, the toe drag. We see him 
do that move. It doesn't work an awful lot of times, but when it does, man, it's pretty. And he just walked Jay Bomeister, and you know the roof would have come off Rogers Arena had he been able to convert in in that moment. But you know, just there were chances there for for Bo Horvat all night long, and so. Uh, I agree with you. Like he, he just he picked up where he's left off. Like I don't know if he's fired up. I see that uh, you know he's going to be a dad now, and he did the gender reveal. Like I don't know if he's got this burst of energy now because of what's going on off the like whatever it is. I mean, it does tie in though to this stretch of 15 games where the Canucks have won 12 of them, and he really has dialed it up a notch or two. I mean, obviously, uh, the city is buzzing about Jake for Tannen and not shotgun Jake, but set up Jake. Uh, it was interesting, I thought, to hear Travis Green kind of concede post-game that even he's seeing things right now from Jake Vertanen that he has never seen at the National Hockey League level. Like, it does kind of feel, and we've talked about him before, but like I know at the start of the season, you certainly weren't sold on Vertanen and, you know, his contributions and, you know, the opportunities that maybe he was giving, been given, um, but... You know he's he's in a groove right now. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. And to see the playmaking and the vision, you know, it is a side of Jake Vertanen that we quite frankly haven't seen before. Yeah, it's a really interesting case all around because I think there has been genuine improvement. I've been especially impressed with his work playing on his downhill side on the power play. I think he's been excellent there. I I still can't shake the overall view that there's something weird going on with his five on five production, you know, 14 even strength points over the last 25 games. Uh, he's been on the ice for 14 even strength goals over the past 25 games. So he, his IPPs at a hundred percent over that stretch. And, you know, that's certainly fortunate, right? Like this is a guy who tends to be around 65%. And, and that to me just suggests that 30% of this five on five offense may prove ephemeral as the, sort of random distribution like the variance that we're looking at here comes back down to his career norms and so you know I think you have to be careful in evaluating a player especially a player who's you know in hit the last year of his contract who's going into an arbitration eligible situation and whose career numbers are significantly lower than the numbers that he's put up in his platform year. But when you look at some of the comps now around the league, like guys like Ryan Strom, guys like Vladislav Nemesnikov, like he's kind of in that conversation based on his, you know, 31 points at this point. And, you know, you're sort of looking at a situation where Vertanen's improved. I think his decision-making with the puck has improved a ton. I was talking to a pro scout who talked about how quickly they see Vertanen processing decisions at both lines. And, how, you know, that's different from what they've seen from him in the past. How his physical game, you know, it's not just hits here and there anymore. It's sort of eliminating checks in a completely different way. And, I mean, I think that is all true. But I also think that Vertanen's building a $3.5 million ARB case at this point, And that's, you know, not the most convenient situation for a team that's got a lot of difficult decisions to make here over the next six to eight months. And, you know, that said... Uh, you don't want to spin like, hey, young player improves, helps team win a ton. Uh, that's a negative. Like, it's not. This is great for the Canucks. It's great for Jake Vertanen. He's taken full advantage of these opportunities. But I do think there's still some caution 
that's warranted in sort of evaluating his overall form here, just because I do think there's something a little bit odd uh, going on in terms of the overall sustainability of his production over the past, you know, eight weeks. Yeah, and he's benefiting from the opportunity to play with Elias Pettersson and JT Miller. And we know Brock Besser once spent some time uh, with those guys. And, and look, Brock Besser had a ton of success there, too. I think you were the guy that said on this podcast, like, it almost felt when they made the switch, like they were trying to solve a problem that maybe didn't exist. And yet they're not going back now. Uh, that's nope. not to say that Brock Besser is not going to get another opportunity with Pettersson and Miller. Uh, but... You know, as good as things are going for Jake for Tannen, I mean, the fallout and the flip side is that it's just not happening for Brock Besser. Under 10 minutes of even strength ice time, didn't play a lot in the third period down the stretch when the Canucks were trying to defend and protect their lead. And, you know, the number that jumps out for me is one shot attempt, right? Like a volume shooter like Brock right. Besser, when he has one shot attempt on the night, you know that the puck hasn't been on his stick, he hasn't been in positions to shoot. And quite frankly, while so many things are going right and well for the Vancouver Canucks, that third line now, the way it's configured, uh, they had a tough go. And it just it, something doesn't quite feel right there with Gaudette, Roussel, and Brock Besser. Yeah, you know, they're now at 41 minutes as a trio, and the underlying numbers aren't bad. Like, I think the underlying numbers are maybe better than we'd expect. They've actually performed like one of the better sort of bottom six lines that the Canucks have trotted out this season uh, overall, just based on shot attempt differential and expected goals and on and on. The bottom line hasn't been there for them, which is obviously concerning, right? They're, you know, they've been outscored two to four in those 41 minutes. Um, Obviously not something you like to see. The goals against rates really high, but that's probably luck. Just overall, though, I think that stylistically, it just doesn't look right, right? Like, it looks like Besser kind of wants to play East-West, almost like, um, you know, a younger version of Redeem for Bata, and that Godet and Roussel kind of maybe benefit a little bit more from playing in straight lines and having a speedier player like Jake Vertanen on their wing. And, you know, conversely, I remain skeptical, despite some excellent plays that Vertanen made on Monday night, that over the long haul he's going to have the sort of precision and skill to complement and drive, you know, positive goal differential results the way that Besser has, you know, on a line with Miller and Pedersen, right? Where where they've been the best line in the Western Conference outscoring opponents five on five. So, I mean, that's a high bar that Vertanen has to maintain, I suppose, in order to continue to sort of warrant that spot. But That said, it's hard to argue with the results at this point based on the way that they're controlling play, how disruptive they are as a four-checking group, and the fact that, you know, the Canucks have scored four goals with that group now, uh, three in the last three games, and, uh, sorry, four in the last three games at five-on-five, and have only surrendered one. I mean, you know, you're not going to mess with success, and, and certainly Vertanen adds a dynamic to that top line right now. Uh, we should mention as well that uh, if people haven't seen it, Harm's got a nice piece up uh, coming out of the All-Star break uh, where a lot of people, uh, myself included, chase the sunshine. Brock Besser went home to Minnesota and, you know, the Canucks were just there in Minnesota and yet uh, Brock raced home at his All-Star break, you know, to spend time with his dad and it all kind of tied into the events of the weekend with Kobe Bryant and just, you know, taking every moment uh, that you've got and taking none of them for granted. And so nice work by Harm as usual. Uh, just a, you know, a, a sort of, uh, 
again, just exploring Brock Besser and where he is and the relationship with his father. And uh, it was a nice piece. So I would certainly suggest if uh, you haven't had a chance to read it, go find it. Uh, it's uh, Harm's usual good work. It almost, I, I feel like I don't need to preface it with uh, good work by Harm. It's just, uh, it's Harm's work and you know that it's going to be uh, good. But it was a nice read. And uh, Brock Besser getting some more time. And uh, they'll be back in Minnesota at the tail end of this five-game road trip as well. So uh, nice to see Brock Besser getting some family time through all of this. Yeah, and and you know, obviously, been a tough season for for a lot of reasons, and you know, I think the maybe the market's a little down on on a guy that still has forty three points in in fifty games, but fact is, Brock Besser's you know still a great player and and still crucial, like a crucial piece for for this team, and you know, I, I do think they. However they do it, and you're not going to mess with the Erickson line right now, the Erickson line, uh, and you're not going to mess with the, uh, you know, Lotto line 2.0, whatever we're calling them, uh, riding shotgun line. Uh, the, But, you know, I, I mean, look, Besser's clearly a great dude and clearly a great player, and this team does need to find a way to make sure they're continuing to take advantage of what he can offer because his contributions are going to be essential down the stretch. And, and I think there's no question at some point he's going to be playing a massive top six role again. Yeah. I mean, I wish for him that uh, there was a little bit of uh, production on the power play right now that maybe would just allow him to feel like he was, you know, helping the hockey club more. Uh, but that power play, it's funny again, for all the success that they're having and early in the year, you know, they rode the power play to a lot of wins right now. The power play, uh, not in a groove of any kind, first or second unit. And last night against St. Louis was another example of that. Uh, they had some opportunities to, you know, swing the game in their favor, and they just couldn't get things going uh, with the man advantage. So uh, it, it's still been a force for the Vancouver Canucks. But, uh, you know, again, for a team that's won 12 of 15, in some ways that's almost a positive that there's, you know, room for improvement. And you know that uh, the power play will find its way. There's just too much talent there, particularly on the first unit. Uh, but there's going to be games down the stretch where they absolutely need to crush it on the power play. And so uh, just an area, you know, I think they're three for their last 34, which is very unlike the Vancouver Canucks and the way that they've uh, been able to to roll with the man advantage for, for much of this season. Just wanted to touch on quickly uh, because uh, they're out on the road for five. And when they get back off this road trip, like, boom, it's uh, into Sedin week. And what a week that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, in the city of Vancouver, it kind of sneaks up quickly, but the Canucks are at the 50-game mark, and uh, here we are. Uh, it's going to be, you know, not just a night, but a week uh, in their honor, and I, I love the way that they're going to roll this out. And if, you know, you touched on this last night in the armies too, that, you know, uh, the Canucks have just absolutely crushed pretty much every uh, pregame ceremony to this point. So uh, no reason to think that uh, that's going to stop with Sedine week and all that's coming. And, uh, you had a pretty good long list of people that are going to be in attendance and some big <laughs> names. So you, you kind of did roll call in the armies last night. Well, you know, the armies has the advantage of occasionally getting to veer into sports tabloid sort of material. <laughs> and uh, what's more sort of fun and, and interesting, especially now that it's awards season, you know, the Grammys were on Sunday <laughs> and on and on than uh, than doing roll call right on the on the guest list. But look, I, I mean, I didn't touch on everyone. There's a ton more, uh, you know, dignitaries, prominent alumni who will be there. Guys who, you know, I don't think the market questions their attendance. I mean, you know, I have people reaching out to me today and being like, well, what about Nasland? And it's like, well, of course Nasland's going to be there. Like, of course BX is going to be there. I don't need to 
explain that. You know, that that sort of wasn't interesting to me to, to confirm or run down because I think that's a given. You know, will Stan Smeal be there? Yeah, of course Stan Smeal will be there. But Trevor Linden, uh, you know, Brian Burke, Mike Gillis, Ryan Kessler, Roberto Luongo, like these are people who left with some baggage, baggage that even remains against the Canucks cap in, in Luongo's case. And I think that it's a credit to the twins and a credit to the organization that, you know, any petty politics, any of that sort of stuff was put to the side and that, you know, this is a big night, a big tent night for a franchise and, and a proud moment. And all of these people who shaped, you know, the, you know, way that Canucks history unfolded during the Sedin twins best years. Like they should all be there and it's great that they will be. I think that, you know, shows well on the individuals. It shows well on the Canucks. It shows well on the Sedin twins who made the guest list. And look, it's going to be an interesting night and an exciting night. And I think a memorable one. And and look, the Canucks have absolutely destroyed, I think. And, And, you know, this 50th anniversary season in terms of creating memorable moments, you know, I think the twins standing together as their, numbers 33 and 22 go up to the rafters simultaneously um you know it probably will take less time than one of their best most withering shifts and uh and what a great sort of moment for for the franchise and for Canucks fans I, I'm really looking forward to it well the bags are packed and uh, out on the road uh, here we go I know that uh, <laughs> you're kind of getting the the cut rate version of this road trip you're going to join us uh, midway so uh we will record uh, a vancast from the road sometime early next week but we'll have to do one remotely at the back end of the week uh they'll play in san jose on wednesday and then uh, the cross-continent flight and then things get uh, a little hairy for them back-to-back early starts uh in uh well on long island and then uh, down to carolina up to boston and they finish in minnesota so uh you know they've got this home thing figured out and uh, they've been okay on the road but there is some room for improvement and i think you know as the playoffs get closer you know and they want to be a playoff team you know, they got to find a way to to just dial it up a little bit and get some results. And and look, there's you know San Jose probably the easiest opponent. And after that, uh, you know, the Islanders don't give you much. Carolina, Boston, you know there are some difficult games ahead. So this will be a good test for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, they start out on this road trip with some momentum. They should have some confidence going after the win over the defending Stanley Cup champs. And uh, we will touch base and we'll get back at it. Uh, record a, a later in the week podcast for the VIP is uh, somewhere along the line, but uh, that's going to do it for now. So good to get back on the podcasting horse, if you will, after uh, 10 days <laughs> off. No? Oh, so good. Yeah, no, quick parting thought is this is a really tough trip against some really good defensive teams, but pay attention to the fact that underlying numbers-wise, the Canucks have been just as good on the road as they have been at home. The difference is that they're converting chances at home and they're not on the road. Uh, also, after this road trip, right, they will have 16 home games and only 11 remaining yeah. road games. So this is a true, like, hold the fort, you know, go 500, and you'll be pretty well set up to, you know, continue to make hay down the stretch if they can just prevent this trip from being you know a a disaster and i mean my guess is they'll find a way to do that despite the high quality of the the opponents they're going to face well somebody's got to make the hay the horses they've got to eat right (laughs) gotta make a meal of it (laughs) there you go Uh, all right we'll uh, catch up with you uh, from the road and then we'll see you out on the road as well 
Uh, as we wrap things up, just make sure you rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription, and you get to hear a subscriber-only edition of the podcast each week as well. All right, Drancer, uh, we'll catch up with you uh, along the way somewhere, and uh, we'll do it again later in the week. Yeah, safe travels, bud. We'll see you at the Bean Pot. There you go. Yes, uh, we'll get into some details on that uh, on the next VanCast. That's going to do it for us here, though. For now, the VanCast on The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.